1: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast with me, Phil bride Today, joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones and Paul Wheelock, keeping the same lineup from last Friday. Unlike Marco Silva, who hasn't been able to pick the same 11 since the start of the season, Willie this weekend as Fulham are the visitors to Goodison. We're here to preview that game, talk about Jordan Pickford, the manager, and of course, Yeri Mina's foot. Um, chaps, we'll start with Fulham, you know, and get that out of the way. And, and what are our thoughts going into it, Prano, are you, are you confident or are you expecting a nervy afternoon given that, you know, we're in uh, increasing need of a victory?
2: Um, very much in need of a victory. And yes, very confident. shouldn't talk that way because you tend to tempt fate when that happens. But just, there are some teams... Mind you, having said that, West Ham are one of those teams as well (laughs) that Everton always get good results against, and that turned out badly. (laughs) But no, Fulham, I mean, it's ridiculous, Emerson's record against Fulham. Uh, at Craven Cottage, we couldn't buy a win for like 40-odd years. I think Alan Ball scored the last minute before Leon Osman finally scored before the 2009 Cup final. But at Goodison, it's exactly the opposite in the league. You've got to go back to 1961 for the last time Everson not just haven't lost to Fulham, but haven't won in the league. Uh, FA Cup's difference, 75. Old enough to remember, that broke me heart when... Uh, They've Busby scored a couple and knocked Everton out of the FA Cup, uh, but in the league, just you know, Everton and Fulham is just a guaranteed home win. Now, okay, that's just like you know, so much historical you know perspective, but you look at the way Fulham have started this season, and they looked decent last week against Watford. You know, they knocked the ball around quite well. But they concede goals all the time, you know, so everywhere they go. And that's one thing Everton haven't struggled with. You know, they have got goals you know, in them. Uh, so I think they'll score two, maybe three at the weekend. The big issue is, you know, keeping them back at the other end. And there has been a slight improvement. You know, again, tempting face here. But, you know, the set-piece issue has been a little bit better the last uh, couple of games. So I'm quite confident that Everton will get a win, and it is much needed, like you say.
1: Adam, last time Fulham came to Goodison was December 2013. We were mm-hmm. looking at that, weren't we, in the early in the week? Just, just for the listeners, just contrast the mood and the feel going into that game back then. It was Roberto Martinez's first season, and perhaps the mood and the feel going into this weekend.
0: Goodness me, yeah, uh, probably back then the mood the mood was pretty high, wasn't it? Like Ever- Everton, the. Uf- up near the Champions League places at that stage. Well, they went fourth with that win. Went forth with that win. Yeah. With that win. Like, it's, it, it seems a long time ago now that we were we were thinking of an Everton team in those kind of circumstances. But yeah, like, they were just riding on the crest of a wave at that point. After what was quite a slow start, I have to say, a couple of draws really, the start of Martinez's reign got were a bit iffy. But once it, once that team got into their strides, then arguably they were really unstoppable in Whenever, when they were on the day and I think maybe, maybe with Marco Silva it's been a bit of a worse start but obviously he's had some massively different circumstances he's took over a team which was in disarray really after last season he's had to try and knit this squad back together and I think we saw the first real signs in that Arsenal game that first half especially I think that's the best we've played all season and really we should have been coming in into half time there two, three goals up really. And Silver said himself in his press conference today, it just needs to be a bit more clinical. I think he said a bit more effective in front of goal. And I'd have to agree with that. And as Preno's just said there, with Fulham's defensive frailties so far this season, I think you've got to be targeting, getting a few goals past this Fulham team and fingers crossed, keeping a clean sheet, Everton's first of the season, hopefully.
1: Paul, it's the fourth league home game of the season. Victory against Southampton, Drew with Huddersfield, defeat obviously West Ham. There's been the odd jeer, the odd moan and stuff. What what are you expecting from the crowd tomorrow? Because there's obviously a very real potential for it to be a long afternoon, Fulham, although seemingly quite an attack-minded team, you know, may surprise us, may, you know, try and play on the fact that Goodison might get edgy. What are your feelings about how, how the, the atmosphere will be?
3: I think it'd be it'd be pretty good in the same respect that we kind of all had a feeling we could lose to West Ham given the position they were in and I think everyone was apprehensive about Arsenal given Everton's record down there but I think the fact that we do so well at homes of Fulham will actually help in a way but but also the performance against Arsenal because last week watching it I was turning the air blue because I just felt this is a chance this is a really rare opportunity to go to Arsenal and put them to the sword and it, we kind of seen it coming when we we missed those chances but you reflect on it. I listened to Raw Blue earlier in the weekend. I started to become a bit more positive about it. And yeah. I think Evertonians will have been impressed by the performance. Still, no good going there and losing. You know, you've, you've got to beat when you get an opportunity like that to beat Arsenal. We should have took it, but I think it'd be quite good. I think the atmosphere'll be okay tomorrow. I really do.
1: We love nothing more than Evertonians to sort of. Psychoanalyze the managers, don't we? You know, amateur <laughs> psychology, or isn't it? Every time they're put in front of a camera, we know Martinez was was a great example, and kuman and Allardyce. Preno, how how do you view how Marco comes across, particularly on the TV to Eversonians? Are you awash with confidence after hearing him preview a game, or, or- um,
2: he comes across as a very focused? very, you know, determined individual who doesn't give a great deal away and I've got no issues with that. I mean, the big problem with Roberto Martinez was it was just so much fluff and so much veneer. You didn't really take that much of it seriously because, you know, Ross Barkley missing penalties was good for him. You, know, just, just, you, know, you didn't really, you know, give it that much credence. Whereas, you know, whatever I would not say you are hanging off every word that Marco Silva says, but what he says is normally to the point. It's normally quite meaningful. He doesn't waste words. Um, I, I quite enjoy his press conferences. Um, like I say he comes across as a as a coach who has a plan and has a vision and doesn 't like to give too much away and from what we hear from you know his work on the training ground, he appears to be that kind of coach as well he 's out there and he 's very very focused uh, you know so sort of very very detailed and very very precise in what he wants the players to do so we 're still getting to know him you know it 's still very very early days, but I think he comes across well and I quite enjoy what he has to say
1: adam are you are you you know in a, in a a, a difficult-ish run, you know, not as not as many points on the board after six games, as, of course, as we would have liked. Are you hearing enough from the manager to still give you that belief that actually, you know, things will will turn? Yeah, I
0: think so. I think the the fact that he sh- so strongly believes that things are going to turn around, I think that's got to be a positive sign. And I think we, as I said before, we've we started to see that in that Arsenal game. Like, I, I can't really remember the last time that Everton went to a top six side like Arsenal and really took the game to them. For long stretches of that, I'd say there was probably only really 15 minutes of that match where we were the lesser team, I'd say. So, especially Marco's press conference today, he was focusing a lot on that. And I think Everton fans, now that they're starting to see the performances change a little bit on the pitch, maybe the Huddersfield game and the West Ham game were anomalies a bit, you know, start of the season jitters maybe. Let's hope that they're out the way now and you you can get into this Fulham game, attack them. Quite early on from the start, and I think so. Silva knows. Silva knows all this. He knows what the fans want to see, and I think he also knows that it's not going to be any sort of quick fix. So he he comes across to me as someone who's so knowledgeable about what he what he wants to do, not not just for the short term but for the long term as well. I think that should give fans a bit of confidence going into the like well the next few months. Really. Yeah,
2: definitely. It is quite difficult for managers nowadays because so much is expected of them in terms of media commitments. It's not just the you know the demands of the written press, the radio, you know, television. Got to be characters, they've got to be personalities, and you know, obviously, you know, greater example than across the park, you know, Jurgen Klopp. Okay, you know, he's a great manager, but you know, he puts on a performance, you know, so sort of every time, and it, as a result, you know, the fans, you know, so sort of, you know, hang on his every word because of this. Marco Silva's not that same kind of character, but television seems to crave it. Uh, just thinking that I saw Maurizio Sarri last weekend, uh, the the early kickoff, and he looked like a man who wanted to be anywhere else but in front of that camera probably wanted to see well, it. well he, was, he was given like you know so, like oh, yeah. I why he put five patches on well, yeah, he was given like terse you know so one and two word answers he was pushing his glasses up onto his forehead and he was like you know thinking you know long and hard and then delivering two or three words and it was it was quite excruciating you went back to the studio and you saw graham sooners jamie carragher all laughing clearly being enjoying it and then the presenter goes well he's a character isn't he they're like, he's not a character you know so n- n- a man couldn't have been any more, you know, so bored to have been there, but that's what <laughs> television wants now and craves, and Marco's not going to give them that, he's not that kind of guy, but what he does, I think he does give you, you know, so what you want to hear, which is, you know, a little bit of insight into his thinking, into his team use, without giving too much away. give he's, anything away. Yeah, now. because, you know, <laughs> you don't want your to do that.
1: Paul, what, do you feel that Marco is, is striking the right balance? Because as we said at the start of this 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 question, obviously it's what happens on the pitch, but as other managers have found in the very recent past, is if if you're not being upfront um, with the supporters when you come out after the matches, and if you're not telling it like it is effectively, and, and and they're seeing a different game completely to what you're seeing or what you're claiming to have seen, you know, does he? Have you got to be sort of very aware of that? Do you sense that Marco is 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 switched on to that fact?
3: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that point because we've. Everton have had probably two managers recently that I've veered from one extreme to the other, whereas Martinez, as we said earlier you know he could just go over the top with some of his statements positive and particularly positive whereas Sam Allardyce he never seemed to strike the right tone it was never his fault you know if there was a bad performance or a defeated seemed to shift the blame onto the players and i think particularly in in today's like social media age when you guys after the game will put the the manager's comments up they're the ones that can cause so much fire can't they along with player ratings obviously <laughs> and uh, started, and yeah. <laughs> you know i think it is a really important i you can all, I wouldn't say you can forgive a manager or a team, but if a manager comes out after a game and says it honestly, as a fan, and I'm speaking as a fan here rather than a journalist, you can actually go, well, you can't accept a defeat, but you can at least say, well, he's watched the same game as me. And that's one thing I would give Silver credit for so far. Even after the West Ham game and even after the Arsenal game last weekend, there's not been once so far where I've come away and thought, what's he talking about here? Mm. You know, he's trying to disguise something or he's trying to build something up. So I've been quite impressed with him. I, I agree, he's not given much away, but it, to me it's, it's not so much about the personality with him at the moment. It's, it's more what we're seeing on the pitch.
1: Before we leave this, do we have a favorite Martinezism? <laughs> you mentioned the penalty one. <laughs> Mine is when Coleman uh, made a return from international duty after a long injury. Not the uh, broken leg, of course. And Roberto described it to me as a fantastic psychological landmark. To be fair, considering English is not his mother tongue, I thought he was quite uh, impressed. <laughs> no, I was it's just, well, yeah. He
2: used to cringe an awful lot you know, with the, the levels of phenomenality. And yeah. Lord knows. Well. But it had to be that one, Ross Barkley missing the penalty. It yeah. was going to be good for him because it would you know, help his development as a footballer or something. Absolute nonsense. I'll get over that. <laughs> <laughs> Any spring to
0: mine? I I, I, I have no idea. I think I've kind of airbrushed the,
2: the, <laughs> those those kind of quotes from my memory. I didn't start, really want to remember the start, them. we talked him on board, you know, because it was like... both well, bought into it at the start, yeah, didn't I would say like... Moyes was dour, but, you know, a very different personality to Martinez. And so it was like a breath of fresh air to see this very, you know, sort of enthusiastic, Huge you know, he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, vibrant... And it was only after, like, you know, sort two or three months when, you know, we'd lost the game and he'd still try and put this ridiculously rosy glow on it that you start to tire of it a little bit. I think it worked when, you know, when we spoke about
1: playing Fulham at home in 2013. And I think we won another game and that was meant we were unbeaten in 10, top four by Christmas type of thing. And when he's talking like that, it feeds into it, doesn't it? Yeah, There's yeah. a sense mm. of momentum. Mm. It's when in the following season when things were going wrong and yet he still tried to
0: use that. You could see what his thinking behind it was at the end of the day, couldn't you? Like he was trying to get just that positive attitude Absolutely, back yeah. back with everyone by any means necessary. But I think it just got to the point where Everton fans were just so, so sick of it. I think it was probably halfway through that second season mm. is when I, like, personally as a fan, I, I was just like, oh, give it a rest, mate. Like, we we yeah. know we've been yeah. crap here. Just yeah. just come out and say it. Yeah,
1: yeah but Marco, hopefully we love, we believe they're striking the right balance uh, at the minute. Um, just before we move on from, from the game tomorrow, who's who's Fulham's danger, man? Paul, you go first,
3: mate. Uh, I think we we were speaking to someone earlier, weren't we, to uh, look at Fulham, have a bit of an insight into them, and it it sounds like it's Mitrovic. You know, you know, like he's basically he was a reject at Newcastle, wasn't he? Benitez didn't fancy him. He went out on loan, Uh, but from what it sounds like he's really got the bit between his teeth. And I I don't think Holgate will be playing tomorrow, but he struggled this season against uh, quite dominant centre forwards. That's what worries me. I I watched the game last week against West Ham and uh, sorry, Watford, Fulham. And he, he looks a handful, you know, he's the player to me that we, we might have to be careful with on Saturday. But I watched Fulham quite a bit uh, last season because I, I, just, I like Fulham as a club. I've, I've been there as a reporter in the past and they play some really good football. And I think they're going to come at Everton tomorrow. And I don't think it's just Mitzvah used to be wary of, but I'm not, I'm not sure if that's such a bad thing. I think it'd be an open game. Breno? Mm-hmm.
2: yeah, I mean he's a big lump, Mitrovic, but you know he's a he's, he's a lump that is very very dangerous, and I'm quite reassured that you know that the likely candidates for Everton's central defensive you know so sort of partnership are players that you know can handle physicality, because uh, th- and. As ever, with with a striker who's dangerous in the air, who puts himself about, it's stopping the service. You know, it's mm. basically you know the midfield doing their job and trying to stop the ball getting wide positions and getting into the box. Uh, but yeah, you know, if you can nullify his threat, you know, so you're halfway there to you know, so sort of keeping a clean sheet. So, so in that respect, then is it, it Jean Michel
0: Seri? That's exactly what Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say like the. There's no doubt in my mind why he was getting linked with the likes of Barcelona and. Chelsea and Liverpool and United, quite United, yeah, like all like quite recently as well. Only only a few months ago, it was a bit of a bolt out of the blue when he signed for Fulham. I have to say, but he's really impressed me since he's come to the Premier League. It looks like he's got so much un- under his belt. Like he can, so good at closing the ball down, so good at winning the ball back, so good at distributing it once he's got it. And then, obviously, we all saw that goal against Burnley as well. Was it Burnley? Yeah, that absolute yeah, yeah, yeah. rocket into the top corner. So, I think the midfield battle is going to be quite key. I think I was going to say over then, the next so, match.
1: So then, who who's who's Everton's midfield two? If you like, on the assumption that Sigurdsson would play him
0: slightly further forward. Well, that that's not <laughs> the way I'd play it. I'd play right. I'd play Sigurdsson next to Gay, right, and then play Bernard in the number ten role, right. Okay, I'd I'd, I'd say from home match against Fulham, and not meaning any disrespect to Fulham. I think I, I think we don't we don't I'll need disrespect him <laughs> well, well, maybe but we don't need two defensive midfielders really do we I think Sigurdsson's got the legs to be able to cover a lot of ground in, in that deeper lion role and I think he's got the passing ability to be like that sort of deep lion playmaker like the way I'm looking at it is something like a Fabregas maybe when he plays for Chelsea alongside Kante. Okay. like. Hangs, hangs a bit further back but can distribute the ball out. A li- I think he distributed a little bit better than Schneiderlin would in this sort of match but he's got le- the better legs and then I'd love to see Bernard playing a bit more centrally You know, take, taking on their centre-backs who by all accounts seem a bit dodgy so far at the start of this season. If we've got Bernard running at them with whoever we've got playing up front I'd like to see Calvert-Lewin giving another crack. I think he'd, he'd put a lot of effort in against Arsenal maybe didn't come off for him. A couple of chances that he missed, but you know with Bernard playing behind them, he could could create some real chances.
1: Of course, Fulham's defenders will be running scared in the knowledge that Bernard's ruined me. Don't the I know, yeah. Again. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> proper and yeah. scenario, wasn't it? Um, Perno, we, we, you know, talk about we you know we we think the midfield battle will be key. Then, who's your midfield? What's your midfield comprised of?
2: Oh, a lot depends on Morgan Schneiderlin's you know sort of state of mind. Um I, it's a difficult one because and Gay doesn't have the right balance for me. You know, the, the two of them are too similar. One of them is expected to move a little bit further forward, and neither of them are particularly good at doing that. Uh, Tom Davis is much more natural at that. Bearing that in mind, oh, I, I would probably I'll probably go with with Gay and Davis, uh, and nothing against Schneidlin. You know, just you know, he, he started the season very well, but you know, obviously he's had you know sort of personal issues the last couple of games. And um, until we know, you know what his state of mind is. I'd, I'd stick. I thought Davis was okay last week. You know, there were moments when he looked quite, quite prominent. You know, quite penetrating. Always trying to do the right thing. Gay is very, very good. Uh, you know, mopping up. I think what's that statistic? He actually won more tackles than any other player in the Premier League last weekend. The big issue is actually dealing with using the ball well when he's got it, which is not one of his strong points. But if he can win the ball back and give it to somebody you know, around him that uses the ball well. Um, yeah I think Gay Davis and Sigurds a little bit further forward you know is that triangle that doesn't leave room for Bernard unfortunately but you know Bernard you know, from the bench maybe but I want to see more of him I don't know quite how to shoehorn him into that side but yeah he looks a talent
1: Willow same question to you mate. And maybe the additional question is just thinking about Schneidlin and think in that peak period when he joined and you know I think he kind of Really hit top form against West Brom, ironically because they were the team that wanted to sign him. He scored that day. Yeah,
3: little dink wasn't yeah, and it? I yeah.
1: just should he be doing more of that? Or he, is silver sort of is your hunch that silver's saying to him actually, you don't need to worry about going forward. That's that's up to others.
3: I know this debate still rages about snidling, but. I'm with Preno, I I think he's been much better this season. Probably doesn't say much given his performances last season, but he wasn't the only one, by the way. It was just that he'd set the bar so high, hadn't he, in mm-hmm. those six months at the back end of that season. But I think I think you're right, Phil. Would, the thing is, I'm not too fussed if Guy and Snyden play together, but I just don't want them to be too deep. They don't need to sit alongside each other. I think them that's themselves. the problem, though, whenever you, know, you
0: play them together, isn't it? Like, are they naturally like, going like into tradition. Tradition? the position. The They're very similar players, aren't they? They both want to sit in front of that back four. And I think you get, you're then left with the situation like we had against West Ham. You've got Gay trying to bring the ball forward a bit too much. And I think that that's just detrimental to us, really. And you've got, a lot of times, you've got almost like a 40-yard gap between yeah. Sigurdsson, who's playing too close to the striker, and then Gay and Schneidlin, who were playing too close to the centre-back, I'll, I'll really. Too,
2: Schneidlin's better at bringing the ball forward. Yes. I mean, he's been involved in the Southampton goal, wasn't he? He had set piece, but... Uh, G- Gage just can't do it around the box. He you know, doesn't have the, the sureness of touch or the vision, I don't think. You know, I wouldn't say he's massively better, but you know, he is certainly a little bit better there. Mm-hmm.
3: I just think what Adam was saying there, because Sigurdsson was an interesting point, I, I'd be still inclined tomorrow to go with Davis because I thought Davis was better last Sunday, but he's still, his passing just lets him down a bit for me, and like, I'm just hoping he can play through that, and just get, keep on improving, because we all want him to be, a really good player for Everton, but the Sigurdson one's interesting, because I've been, quite critical of him, this season, in terms of not coming to get the ball, but again, I don't know if that's tactical, because Silver wants to play him closer to Tosin, whoever's been up front, but that's quite interesting, that if you could, maybe Snydlin and Sigurdson, and then, so you know Snydlin will sit there, and Sigurdson just, just to get him more involved in the game, because, Mm. I'd like to see that more because I think we still are missing that playmaker.
2: And if that's the case, who's going to be captain? Sigurdsson again. It's bizarre, isn't it? The revolving armband. <laughs> it is mad, isn't yeah. it? Mad.
1: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Uh, one player he obviously won't be playing and won't have the captain's armband is Yeri Mina, as we mentioned. Uh, a couple of days ago in training, uh, Bernard stamped on his foot accidentally, and so he had a little setback. It's not not a fresh break, as had been reported elsewhere, um, but he will be out for this weekend's game. Is he going to be worth the wait? I think is the question.
2: We don't know, do we? We can only go on the evidence of the World Cup. Um when he looked a player, but largely because he was such a threat in the opposition penalty area. Um, from his experience at Barcelona, he had a, you know, a, a, a ropey six months or so, You know, didn't play that many games, took a bit of time to settle. He's still a young man. Um, obviously, you know, for him to have been signed by Barcelona, he's obviously got a great reputation you know, from his games in South America. So we don't know, Just it could be one of those players that'll take a little bit of time to settle. And, you know, this might be a little bit of a blessing in disguise that he's had, you know, sort of two or three months to get to know the country, get to know his teammates, just settle into the, you know, the alien culture. And, that, you know, when he finally does, you know, sort of make his, you know, transition into the first team, hopefully it'll be a little bit more smooth than it might otherwise have been. Uh, Michael Keane, as we've spoken about before, in, the, you know, in, in these pods, you know, it's taken the best part of 12 months to settle into... Uh, you know, so playing at a club of Everton's size and stature and it has been playing very, very well this season. So, you know, let's, let's hope it's a blessing in disguise. We don't really know until we see him out there in action. But, you know, he's big, he's powerful, he's got a bit of pace, he's got the, you know, the assets that we want to see in a centre-half. So let's keep our fingers crossed you know, that he will he will hit the ground running.
1: And obviously we would expect expected it, it would be Michael Keane and Kurt Zuma. Mm-hmm. Zuma's almost a forgotten man in the deadline day. Arrivals isn't he a little
0: bit? Um, How have you and what have you made of his performances so far? I've been fairly impressed on the most part. I'd say probably his performance against Huddersfield was, I think, probably the best centre back performance that I've seen from any of our centre backs so far this season. Thought he showed so much power, so much pace. He dominated that Huddersfield front line for the majority of the game. Like I think most of the attacks were coming down Holgate's side more than. Zuma's side. I think in the West Ham game, he maybe regressed a little bit. I think there was times too often when he would, you know, run out, run out of position a little bit, and maybe get caught in behind. I think for their their first goal, he was caught trying to play offside and then didn't get back quick enough. So it's just those kind of those little mistakes. Maybe you're waiting for him to settle into a new side. Maybe it's just because he's a young player and obviously he's got still got a lot to learn about being a Premier League centre back. But I think on the most part, I've been really impressed with him and I think he brings something that a lot of Everton's other centre backs don't have and it's that sort of recovery pace and I think that's what we were seeing for the most part against Arsenal I think especially in the first half you saw Michael Keane who was playing really really well using his strength using his aerial ability a lot but as we know he's not very quick on the turn whenever he was getting caught on the turn you've got Zuma going out there and you know he was catching up to the likes of Aubameyang and Lacazette for most of that first half so I think that kind of attribute is going to be really useful to Everton over the over the next few months, definitely.
1: Paul, just before we move on, um, are you comfortable with a Keane and Zuma partnership against Fulham? And and you know, you picked out Mitrovic. You know, are you comfortable that them, them two can handle him?
3: Yeah, I'd hope so. Given Zuma's size and Keane' best form of his career was on the Deitch at Burnley, and they were a physical back four, weren't they? In a, a physical team, and you know, in a in a strange way, like I can't wait to see Mina. You know the hype over him or not the hype it's just a wait for him to see what he's like it might be quite nice if we have a centre-back partnership for two or three games going into the international break and if Keane and Zuma do well which we hope they did I thought they were pretty good last weekend then when Mina comes back there's less pressure isn't there you know t- to get into the team and I've been quite impressed by Michael Keane because I'd seen him earlier in his career when he went on loan at Blackburn and when he went to Burnley and from what I can remember him speaking to him back then, he's a really nice guy. But I can imagine that step up from Burnley to Everton would have been vast. And I, I felt last time that he just he was drowning a bit last season whenever I seen him. But he was not helped by the situation. But I don't know what's happened over the summer. Maybe he's had a good time to think about it. And you know the fact that it's a new manager. But I've been quite impressed by what I've seen with Keane this season. He looks he looks better. He looks better. So I'd be quite happy to see those two have uh, the next few games together.
1: Excellent. So uh, hopefully, we well, we expect to see Keane and Zuma uh, playing in front of John Pickford, who this week signed a new deal, which keeps him at the club until June 2024. So I'm going to ask the panel today, after Michael Silver had said that it's important that Everton keep hold of their best players, who is the next player who deserves a new deal? Are we allowed
2: to save a chance? <laughs> <laughs> Go
1: on, yeah.
0: Well, Pick,
2: Pickford's only been there 12 months and he's got a new one
0: so. quite quite, quite honestly yeah. I'd want to tie down Richarlison for as, as long as we can I think the last the last few games with him being out have proven how much we already rely on him a little bit and he's come in and instantly fit into Marco Silva's style which I think what we all all wanted to see and yeah I, I just couldn't I, could, I, I couldn't live with an Everton without Richarlison at the minute
2: I think we absolutely need to tie him
0: down for as long as we can.
1: <laughs> Pronouncing question or who?
2: Yeah, there's, there's no standout candidate for me, really. Um, just uh, trying to go through the squad then. I, mean, you know, I don't think there's any that are absolutely that close to, you know, so, well, you know better than me, you know, so getting close to finishing their contracts. And but I
1: mean, you know, Jordan was nowhere near finishing his contract. But I think, you know, in terms of Marco saying it's important we keep our best players and, you know, and. True, you know, but the, the
2: circumstances were that he was signed on, let's, you know, Comparatively speaking, a modest wage, yes. uh, with the promise that you know if he did settle in very very quickly, that would be improved. And you know to be a standout performer at the World Cup, yeah, you can certainly say he has improved dramatically. Uh, but looking beyond that, you know, I can't really see you know so any players that you're thinking, wow, they're you know performing out of their skin. That other people are going to be casting covetous glances at them, and we need to tie them down. Um, some of the younger players, you know, so sort of maybe. No, no one absolutely right, jumps sorry
1: let, let, let me flip it on its head then. What about somebody like Leighton Baines and Jagielka, who I think from memory, their contracts are up in the summer. Yeah. Is it as important, you know, are they are they? Are they fall to the category of of it's, our best players? Well, it's
2: funny. The, the one that was lurking, you know, sort of on the edge of my tongue to talk about was Baines. And I don't know, because we haven't spoken to him for like a, a couple of months. And I just, I, I don't know quite what his, you know, state of mind is at the moment. Um, Funny enough, Kevin Ratcliffe in his column this week talked about, uh, you know, don't write Leighton Baines off. You know, Lucas Dean is great going forward, but, you know, he's been a little bit sloppy defensively on a couple of occasions, you know, so... And he was talking about maybe Baines coming back in. Uh, No, that's not going to happen. I think Dean will keep his place at the weekend. But, you know, Baines, because he's such a pro, because he's so circumspect, I think, you know, he won't be making any noises, but it'll be... Hopefully, it'll be frustrating him not being involved because, you know, we know he absolutely keeps himself in a peak of condition. You know, he's an absolute, you know, sort of ultra professional in terms of his fitness and it can be so frustrating, you know, so sort of working so hard all week to get yourself into a peak condition and then just be left on the bench again. He said, what was it? 15 minutes in a cup tie against bother him, you know, so since Dean came in, rest of the time he's been on the bench. So is he comfortable with that? We don't know because I haven't spoken to him. Uh, you know, he's 33. I think he was quite keen to, uh, Manages playing time a little bit more and you know, so be in and out of the side, but at the moment he's just completely out of it. Um, I'd love to see him given the next year, I'd like to see him, you know, so sort of kept on board cause I think he's still got an awful lot to offer. But if he is frustrated, if he is getting a little bit, you know, so irritated not being involved, I think maybe he might be looking to move on and you know, so basically, you know, so sort of play more regular football elsewhere. 33. Is not a great age for a player who keeps himself in the condition he does. I know he's picked up a few injuries in recent years, you know, which, you know, more so than he ever did. Uh, but equally, he's still got, you know, a good couple of years left in him, I would suggest. And, you know, whether he'll want to be sitting on a bench in those couple of years, I don't know. Paul,
1: you know, same uh, same double barrel question for you in that respect, you know, in terms of Adam pick Richarlison as, as, as the most important player he thinks would deserve a new deal next. And equally, you know, what about Baines and Jags? Where, where do you sit on this on this debate?
3: It's a good question. I'm scrambling my brain. Like I was saying, then, to think of someone, it probably says a lot about the performances over the last year, that there's not a number of names screaming out to you. I prob- In terms of the players now, or like the new players, I probably would say Richarlison. I still think we need to see more of him. Yeah, but yeah. if he can keep up the kind of form he's shown and the influence he's having on the team, yes, certainly. Why not? That's what you do with footballers nowadays, isn't it? To, to keep them, hopefully, for longer. Yeah, Baines and Jagielka, I just... I'm a massive fan of both of them. I can't imagine what the club would be like in a way when they both leave because they've been such stalwarts, haven't they, the, the last decade or so. I think Jagielka particularly, I can imagine this could be his last season at the club. Baines, I, I really like Luca Dean, but I do have some reservations. He's still It's still early days in his career, but we, he does seem to leave a lot of gaps. Uh, and Baines, without wanting to go back to Roberto Martinez, there's times when I wonder, could we find another place for him in the team because he's such a good footballer? I don't know whether he could ever become that Philip Lahm defensive mm. midfielder, <laughs> but he's such a good player, and I just think since we've lost Gareth Barry, we've never had that kind of you know really good footballer in the in the middle of the park. I don't I think it's probably too late for that now, but there's certain times where I look at it and think I'd like Baines in this team. You disappointed that that Martinez
1: never explored it further. I think he played there against Newcastle once mm. around Christmas time and did all, did all right. Had an assist for Morales, and we got beat three two. You disappointed that it was something that he he didn't explore more, or was it just a case of look, we need you to play left back?
3: Yeah, I, I think I am because we were talking about like some of the crazy things that Martinez says. But at the time when he said it, I actually could see the uh you know the, see the the reasoning behind that because he's one of those players when you get the ball down the wing, he he's, he looks up doesn't he? He can pick out a pass and I think his positioning's good. And I just wonder if he could have ever played that role in in the kind of way that Barry did. I know he's not got the height, you know, to to cut out headers and things like that, but. I just think it's a bit of a waste at the moment, having as, as good a footballer as Leighton Baines in the squad. And, and as Breno said, then he's just sitting on the bench. But then again, I understand if you pay all that money for, for Dean, he's the manager's left back, I can understand that. But I don't want to see him going anywhere, but he may want to go, mightn't he?
0: I think it's one of them difficult conversations that we heard Silver and Brands talking about in the summer, really, isn't it? Like, I think it's just the harsh realities of Premier League football these days. Leighton Baines is an extremely good player, don't get me wrong, but I think... At the minute, Luca Dean's just better suited to the role for me. I think he's a bit more energetic. He's younger. He's fresher. I think he attacks better than Baines does these days. And I think the defensive side of it will come. He just he just needs to, you know, obviously play against two centre backs that he actually knows Mm. (laughs) for a lot of the time. Obviously, that that defence has changed every game so far, has it? So it can't it can't really be a settled back four for him to want to play with. And I think when you've got Richarlison playing in front of him as well I I just love to see them try and build up some sort of relationship you know you you could really be getting back to like you know the sort of Baines pinar days down that left-hand side if you give them enough time to develop with each other so yeah I, I, I know that Leighton Baines is a very very good footballer but I, I just think Dean is better suited to it at the minute and I just think it's it's it is just the reality of the Premier League these days
1: Okay, before we wrap up today's uh, edition of the Royal Blue Podcast, um, just something that might have gone slightly unnoticed, um, at Arsenal, Marco used only two of his three subs, and the person that you would have thought was probably next in line to come off the bench was Adamola Luckman, but didn't. Should we? Uh, can we? Should we read anything into that?
3: It's an interesting one, isn't it? It's, it's, it's to me Luckman. He's one of those players who got better while he was away from the club. Like, mm. I know he had that massive impact when he scored against City and then he, he looked well, but even towards the back end of that season, it was Koeman's first season, wasn't it? And I thought he lost his way a little bit then. And then since he's come back, I was at the Valencia friendly. Uh, and I, I, he didn't look, pretty, he had a great reception off the crowd, didn't he? But he didn't look quite at it and, and he's still not looked quite at it for me when he, he's got the ball in good positions. He's not really drove at anyone. I think there was a cross, wasn't there? That Sigerson nearly turned in in a game. I forgot which one it was, but... He's not shown enough on the pitch so far, for me anyway, I, I don't see him and obviously you guys know better, but he's not shown enough when he's had a chance off the
0: bench to deserve a place in the starting line. Mm, I completely agree there. <laughs> I think I think absence has made the heart grow fonder a little bit with Luchman and he had a good loan spell at Leipzig last season, don't get me wrong, but there was a spell where he really struggled to even get into their side, I think it was like February, March time. I think it was only an injury or a suspension led him back into the side and obviously he grabbed it with both hands then scored a couple of goals on the last day of the season for them. But since he's come back, as you've said there, Paul, like he's he's not exactly grabbed the chances that he's had so far. Like he, he just looks to be a, a little bit reserved for me. He doesn't, doesn't want to take people on as much. He doesn't want to use his pace as much. There's, there's there's something not right. And I think if I was Marco Silva in that position against Arsenal, I wouldn't have brought him on.
1: But he's obviously doing enough in training because that was the issue at the start of the season he wasn't doing enough during the week so he's obviously training hard enough to be part of the squad so why did he not bring him on
2: oh, we don't know um, exactly what, what what's going on you know behind closed doors on the training pitch the, the rumours about him, you know, being a little bit truculent on occasions and, you know, sort of not showing the... Uh, the, the <sighs> what a word. That's, <laughs> <been> the, <laughs> That's a word of the day, uh, that a big word. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a little bit of a uh, titty-lipped. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a difficult one. He knows, you know, the player's mindset, hopefully, you know, sort of better than anybody else. And, you know, whether he's capable of making an impact... Clearly, he didn't think uh, the time was right, or the players' mood was right, or you know the the, the way the game was set up for uh, to bring him on. So it's, it's a very, very difficult one. I mean, I, I, I've seen flashes from him that make you think, yeah, there could be, you know, sort of player here. You know, that mazy dribble across the pitch downfield, a couple of moments, um, you know, the Man City game, you know, so when he scored his goal. But equally, I've seen plenty of occasions where he's given the, way, the ball away cheaply and he's, he's not being good in possession. He's still a very, very young man, still learning, you know, sort of the game. And he's not really had much of a run in a, a first team anywhere. You know, Leipzig's probably his most consistent football, yeah. you know, so anywhere he's been. He's still, you know, an absolute rookie. So you've just got to trust the manager's judgments on this, you know, so he will know exactly, you know, so what the player is capable of, you know, when, when the time is right. I don't think there is any kind of issue um, you know with including him I mean Marcel Brands made it absolutely clear in the summer that they wanted him as part of the setup, and they were you know so very very keen to involve him so it's up to the player to convince them that you know so he can knock down the door and get in that first team they're clearly not doing it at the moment
1: Okay we shall see if Adam O'Luckman is in the squad and if he gets used tomorrow as Everton play host to Fulham in the game that really we we uh... We are increasing need of a victory. So thank you very much for listening to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. Remember, please, to review, rate and subscribe to the show. You can do that through iTunes or the ACAST app. So please, uh, all comments are very much welcome. Thanks very much for listening and until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.